Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. Today we are here for our 20th buddy sode and joining us joining me today is our host first Eugenio. Hello. And Dara. Hello. And we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Shiv Pillai. Hi. So let me tell you all about Shiv a little bit. Shiv right now is a program head in the graduate program in immunology at Harvard. And Shiv also has his own lab in the Harvard Med School and he works on immunology. Shiv, can you tell us a little bit about what your what is your focus uh, in research? Yeah, so a lot of our focus is on the collaboration between T cells and B cells in many contexts. It includes in the context of uh, just understanding basic biology, in the context of studying patients who have single gene mutations that usually affect regulatory T cells, where you have excessive T cell activation, and also in the context of infection as in COVID-19. When we also look at some other diseases in which you have chronic inflammation and include systemic sclerosis, IgG4 related disease, where we're interested in BT collaboration, which induces T cells that cause disease. Okay, we had Dr. Deepak Rao on our podcast, I think two episodes back, and he also works with BT interaction. It was quite a, a nice episode. So we may have some overlapping points to talk about today. Yeah, I know Deepak extremely well, but you know, we work on slightly different things, but... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, one more question, Shiv. Uh, I want to know how you got interested in becoming a researcher. Okay, so I grew up uh, 8,000 miles away in India, but when I was about uh, 13 or 14 years old, I read a book which my mother had given me called Microbe Hunters. And Microbe Hunters is a book, it's a little over the top because I've reread it now, but it's by Paul de Cruyff. It's a very old book. And it talked about Pasteur and Koch and all the greats in the early days of understanding infection and immunity. And I read that and I thought this is what I want to do. And I didn't know really how to go about it. So I ended up going to medical school where, you know, like in Europe, we go to medical school straight out of high school. And uh, then Fortunately, I was in one of the uh, medical schools which had a good research uh, uh, set up and I managed to find a mentor who was very helpful and I got involved in research, ended up doing a PhD, uh, starting my own lab in India, then coming to the US uh, as a postdoctoral fellow where I came to the lab where molecular immunology was being developed in the very early days of understanding how you brought molecular biology to immunology. I was lucky to make some interesting discovery. So, I mean, I, that that all, it's a process where you get excited about something, then you stay with it, and then it solidifies, and then, you know, there's no turning back. Okay, that is very nice. You know, a, a cool fact that I did my undergraduate in the same city as you did your medical training. In, I was in Valor too for VIT, four years. that means. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> VIT did not exist. When I went At to that medical time? school, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. I've seen it now because I've gone back to Velour a few times, but yes. Yeah, I, I've I've been to Christian Medical College. It's a, it's one of the most reputed ones in India. And as you're saying, research must be good here. Okay, so uh, the paper we're going to talk about today is titled "Loss of BCL6 Expressing T Follicular Helper Cells and Germinal Centers in COVID-19." I learned about this paper from one of my B-cell biology courses, and I was quite fascinated about this. I had to discuss this on antibodies, and luckily, Shiv was very generous enough to give us his time and respond promptly, and here we are today. The first authors, there are actually three first authors for the paper, Naoki Kaneko, Sao Suan Ko, I'm very sorry, I don't know some pronunciations, Julie Bosio and Jocelyn Farmer. Okay, I have must have butchered a lot of names. I apologize to everybody. <laughs> so, Shiv, um, were the first authors graduate students in your lab, or are they postdocs? No, all of those uh, first authors you mentioned are postdocs or fellows, and uh, okay. there were 
two of them were heavily involved in the study of the blood in COVID-19. So this is in the early days of COVID and all the blood samples were analyzed fresh. So it wasn't in a frozen PBMCs, it was all being analyzed fresh in a 26 color flow. And uh, there were a lot of people involved in the study. So there were graduate students who had processed blood, a lot of graduate students at that time, because labs were closing down. But we said, if you're working on COVID labs, those labs continue to work on COVID. Everything else closed down. So many students who were doing other things volunteered to process blood, participate in the process, pick up blood samples. So we had a lot of people involved in the study. Naoki Kaneko studied the tissues. We looked okay. at autopsies as well. And those also were very special autopsies that were done. Uh, you know, I can tell you in more detail later. It's not easy to actually look at. Uh, you won't see many single cell RNA-seq papers on the lungs in COVID-19. Just because no one has done them, it's too tough to do it. Uh, the tissues don't hold up. So we had to find ways to get very fresh lungs soon after people unfortunately passed away and mm -hmm. to go and study the lungs and the lymph nodes. Uh, and others didn't think of looking at draining lymph nodes. As immunologists, we knew we need to look at draining lymph nodes. So that's how we learned some things that others did not. Okay, we have some very cool findings in this paper, but before we start talking about the contents of the paper, let's let's have some terminology discussion. So one of the terms that you need to know to understand the paper going forward is germinal center. Uh, Shiv, how will you define germinal center in a few sentences? So I would think of the germinal center as a created Darwinian structure where cells, so B cells, clones of B cells, which have seen antigen and had T cell help, go through very rapid multiplication. That's when they have genetic diversification. Then they have natural selection. So it's really Darwinian, where the highest affinity B cells get selected. And then we have survival of the fittest, where most cells will die, but this highly selected cells will go on to become long-lived plasma cells. Earlier on in the general center response, some cells will become memory cells. Okay, thanks a lot for that. Uh, we also have one transcription factor, very important, BCL6. I think of BCL6 as the soul of the germinal center. It helps follicular T cells acquire an identity and the B cells, follicular B cells acquire an identity that lets them do what they're there for in the germinal center. So all the transcriptional programs are activated by the BCL6. Another important molecule is AID or activation induced cytidine deaminase, which helps in both class H recombination and somatic hypermutation inside the germinal centers. Somatic hypermutation is the post antigen exposure step where B cells can literally change their DNA sequences to acquire variety in their in their antibody repertoire. And class H rec uh, recombination is a step where B cells create different antibodies that have unique effector functions. So they may be specific to the same thing, but they have different job profiles. For example, IgGs, IgEs. Anybody who's not sure about the isotype switching, we just did an Immunology 101 episode where we talked about different classes of Ig or immunoglobulins and how they're named. So please check that out. The next term we'll go with, and this is a fairly advanced term. If you are an undergraduate student, maybe you have not heard about this. It's going to be double negative to B cells. I would say these are fairly recent. If you think about the age of immunology as a field and double negative to B cells, these are unique type of B cells that do not express typical naive B cell marker, which is IgD. They also do not uh, express a typical memory marker, which is CD27 in humans. So they're negative for both IgD and CD27. So it makes them quite unique. And up to my knowledge, they I have only seen them in bad light in autoimmune patients. Shiv, do you know what is their general contribution to immunity? Yeah, so we do study these and we have some more recent data in the context of vaccination as well. So in this paper, we actually described four subsets, DN1, 2, 3, and 4, 
originally inyaki sanz's group had looked at called them dn1 and 2 but since i talk a lot to inyaki we followed his nomenclature when we looked at uh, various b cell subsets and there's actually a very large number of b cell subsets that do come up in disease some of them however may also come up during a normal immune response and uh, so there may be some overlap here and that's something we are very interested in but you are right in thinking that when b cells are active remember that b cells actually are heavily linked to disease in a way that no one predicted so you treat multiple sclerosis today you deplete b cells and the disease virtually goes away uh, so there's many inflammatory diseases where we think t cells are driving the disease but depletion of b cells is the most useful way to get clinical improvement and that is perhaps because we think and this is a follow up paper which you haven't seen yet where we in even in covid we think it's b cells are talking to certain cd4 t cells in tissues so in various diseases these double negative b cells it's not the dn2s it's really others dn3s which we have mentioned in that paper which go into the tissue and which can help activate cd4 t cells and some of those cd4 t cells are doing things you don't want and causing disease and so yes you should consider them to be cells that come up during an extra follicular response now remember in covid we are saying you can't make germinal centers so almost everything is going down this other path which you can think of the less efficient pathway of getting long lived plasma cells but you don't get long lived plasma cells you get plasma cells but they're not long lived you get memory cells which are probably less efficient uh, or, or less durable than the memory cells that you get from a germinal center but you do get all these cells so you can think of this alternative b cell response you have either a germinal center response which is the most useful one high affinity or you have this alternative response which is much more prominent in disease and certainly is very prominent in covid okay that does explain why it's 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 hard to find long lasting uh protection or memory response against sars-cov-2 at least for the studies we have so far and uh shiv i i have a general general question how are we naming them dn124 what's different so, between these so this basically so you chose cells so the way most people in human immunology classified b cells they would call these cells double negative because they have neither igd nor cd27 as you mentioned so memory cells have cd27 naive don't have cd27 but the igd positive so this category of cells increases in disease you don't see very many in normal people and within them you can reclassify them and this is what inyaki used so we use that as well though when we use uh, tisney plots we can find about 15 different populations but we use these four just to make keep it simple and it's based on cd11c and cxcr5 levels so you get four quadrants and you call them dn1234 okay and if you say so some of these double negatives do have cxcr5 in that case they may be able to enter the germinal center i mean so remember cxcr5 is needed just to enter the follicle right all oh, right yeah and uh, however if you don't have a very high level of cxcr5 so uh, you guys talked about class switching before but our own thinking about class switching is that only certain class switching events occur in the germinal center most class switching actually occurs outside the germinal center before you form a germinal center and there are different names given to those cells you can call them t helper cells that help b cells or you can say they are pre germinal center tfh cells what the terminology we use not a very good term because they're not in the follicle they're outside the follicle mainly mm-hmm. but uh, these are cells which don't have high levels of bcl6 but have some cxcr5 they haven't yet got that high level of cxcr5 to go into the follicle but they can help in class switching for many isotypes okay that was very helpful thanks a lot for that the next cell uh, we want to talk about is follicular dendritic cell Uh, i i think a follicular dendritic cell is the biggest misnomer in immunology because it's it's nowhere a dendritic cell or a hematopoietic cell i think of follicular dendritic cell as a cell with a lot of receptors for fc regions of the antibody and complements so it is like a 
I would think of it as a walking trash bag that's collecting any antibody or compliments that it sees on its way and just having all of them combined there so that the cells in the germinal center, mostly B cells, can grab these complexes and show them to the T follicular cells to prove that they're worthy of being selected, that they have got what it takes and they should be allowed to survive as in it's a Darwinian structure. So everybody is competing for survival signals. And for and follicular identical cells are the providers of the antigen there in some sort of. The next cell we're gonna talk about is the follicular helper T cells. And these are um, generally seen as the kind of T cells that are present within the follicle and they're helping the B cells with survival signals and telling them whether they're good to go or not. They're giving cytokines that help in differentiation. And yes, one of the ways that B cells die in the germinal center is when they do not receive survival signals from the follicular helper cells. Shiv, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, so just, I like your way of describing FDCs. I actually tell my students, the Harvard undergrads, never to say follicular dendritic cell to only say FDC. So you don't think of it as a dendritic cell. Okay, it doesn't actually phagocytose and all like a dendritic cell. Mm -hmm. uh, and you are perfectly accurate in what you said. It's like a basically a display machine. It has a function. It doesn't ingest and eat up. It displays. For T follicular helper cells, uh, I think the added function, I would think of two big functions, true T follicular helper cells. One function is to form the germinal center. Without that, you don't even make the germinal center. Then the job is to select in the light zone where you select the high affinity cells, which you mentioned. And then, of course, some of them, even before they become T follicular helper cells, so IgE switching does occur in the germinal center. Okay, and there it's a T follicular helper cell driving the class switch. But many other isotypes switch before the cells are true T follicular helper cells. Uh, they're on their way maybe, but or never on their way, but somewhere partly differentiated. And those cells also cause class switching. So. We tend to call them TFH cells too, but strictly speaking, they're not true TFH. Okay, that changes a lot what I think of as, as somatic hypermutation and class H recombination. I always think of them occurring simultaneously, but from what you're telling me, it seems like the yeah, CSR uh, think, may proceed. I think there are two papers. We published one paper in Kerala when USA had a paper in immunity showing that most class switching occurs outside the German center. It needs AID. So both somatic hypermutation and isotype switching need AID, but AID is made even before the B cell actually enters the follicle to make the germinal center. So as in these COVID patients, and we've looked at many more now since we published, they don't have germinal centers, but they do have TB collaboration. They do have AID induction and they do have class switching. They're making IgG. Okay, there's no problem in switching, but they're not making very long-lived cells and they're not making germinal centers and selecting cells. So people are now sequenced a lot of antibodies. And the difference between vaccination is you get affinity maturation. You get higher and higher affinity B cells. But in natural COVID, you don't. You get B cells, they work, they make antibodies, but they're not going to be selected to be high affinity. Okay. I have a very a philosophical discussion point to make here. Uh, in... On a population level, if you think of humans as species, the most advancement we could have is from the moment when humans started having something to write their thoughts on, like the discovery of paper or a paper-like substance where they could grab, they, they, they could store their knowledge and could pass it down for long-term usage. Similarly, in immune system, the memory is, I think it's the biggest weapon that we have against pathogens and for a pathogen like SARS-CoV-2 to prevent the formation of germinal center, I would think of SARS-CoV-2 as being a very successful pathogen since it's preventing a long-term memory production in, you, well, in humans. I, I would question that. So you have to think of, uh, I'm not saying you're wrong in what happens, but in, in terms of the philosophy there. So the pathogen's goal is, it's not thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow. It's just trying to survive now. Okay. Right. So the pathogen's goal is just to survive now. I don't think this loss of germinal centers is actually a reflection. And I'll tell you why I think that. It's not a reflection of evolution on the part of the pathogen. 
the pathogen just wants to us to stay alive enough to transmit it and that's all it cares about its mutations in the pathogen are to transmit better that's the job okay that's what it's doing we have a couple of things going on which is not in this paper but these are in our follow up stories the first is we want to have antibodies to protect us in the future so that you got we got infected we want to have memory to be able to see the pathogen again we want the memory to be broad enough to maybe see variants now you think about it maybe we want slightly broader memory than plasma cells which can be very narrow focused and make antibodies against what they saw but we don't want to die okay our right. interest is to live and what is happening i think during covid and many other severe infections even in very severe you know h5n1 in ebola and so on is that to protect our organs we get exhaustion of t cells and that's we have severe exhaustion probably evolved just to prevent us from completely destroying an organ you got in hepatitis if you destroyed every infected cell rapidly you you just won't live your liver is going to be gone so we bring in exhaustion and then during the b cell during the tb collaboration process normally we are trying to make cells into tfh cells to make antibodies to protect us tomorrow so we're making some antibodies we're not yet made a germinal center but in order to protect us in the context of an infection when we are losing our cd8 function deliberately because we don't want to wipe the organ out we want to have something else to contain the virus mm-hmm. and so we are actually deviating our t cell differentiation away from tfh towards things like th1 and cd4 ctls the cytotoxic t cells that might protect us against the virus somewhat so that we we are saying yeah we this long lived antibodies which will protect us in the future that's down the line right immediately what you want to do is to survive so i think that's what's going on so i think these changes are a reflection of the host mm-hmm. yeah it seems like this is a devious pathogen that screws us all up yes mm-hmm. all that is true but it's not because it's devious it is devious in other ways in evading type 1 interferon and everything else in this case preventing us from making germinal centers not really helping the virus that much because yes it will get into someone else and multiply but is it not thinking about that process i'm i'm just you know personifying this mm-hmm. saying so i think this is human evolution which causes we are willing to lose germinal centers sometimes in a very acute infection context when there's very severe inflammation and i think that's why we see this phenomenon now we are studying this actively in the mouse because you can you know compare this and study it but i think that's the biology that we have evolved a way to say that you know this is a really important thing to have but we let's skip it right now because we need to just live first and we need our t cells right. to do something else our cd4s and uh, putting them all to just help antibodies that's not so vital right now so we do make cells that help antibody formation we form an extra follicular focus we have extra follicular b cell responses we do make some antibodies but we don't make the best antibodies okay thanks thanks a lot for that i see that i have given a lot of spoilers about the paper so without any more waiting uh eugenio can you tell us about the premise of the paper sure first thanks jatin and thanks she for this great uh, intro discussion i'm going to summarize some of the introduction we have for this paper in order to start with this uh, discussion so we know that the adaptive immune response response is generated in secondary lymph organs where activation and differentiation of T follicular helper cells and antibody secreting cells leads to humoral immunity. An efficient generation of humoral immunity is required for protection against infection agents, including SARS-CoV-2. However, recent data indicates that humoral immunity is short-lived and SARS-CoV-2 antibody exhibit limited somatic hypermutation. The question then arises in the scientific community. what happens during covid-19 that make the immune response fa- fail in mounting an efficient humoral immunity well it has been observed that sars-cov-2 infection leads to different clinical manifestations including acute respiratory syndromes and lung damage during infection damage associated molecular patterns and pamps activate innate immunity which leads to cytokine production 
Interestingly, even though we have these inflammatory signals, we would expect an activation of dendritic cells and for the activation of TMB cells. But it's not the case for severe COVID-19 patients, as we'll see in today's discussion. So, so the, the main objective of this work was to determine to determine the possible cause of lack of durable immune response to SARS-CoV-2 infection. So let's start with the results, Jatin. Thanks a lot. So in figure one and two of the paper, the main questions that the authors seem to be asking is how do the germinal centers look in the secondary lymphoid organs of severely ill COVID-19 patients compared to non-COVID-19 control? This study focuses on autopsies received from severely ill COVID-19 patients. The patients were divided into two groups. The early group consisted of those patients who were admitted in the hospital less than eight days before. And the second group, the late group where the patients were in the hospital for more than 15 days. The authors assessed thoracic lymph nodes in these patients and found that severely ill patients had a lack of germinal centers, as well as reduction in B and T cell populations. Particularly, BCL6 expressing B cells were low compared to non-COVID-19 controls. Shiv, can you tell us what were the non-COVID-19 controls here? So we, at the time, so we actually, all our autopsies were performed within a few hours of people dying. So this was, you know, an accelerated process because we wanted to get as fresh tissues as possible. And at the same time as we collected autopsies of anyone who died at that particular hospital, at the Brigham Women Hospital, who had COVID, people who were who didn't have COVID, who died at the same time, were also autopsied in the same way. And these were people all age matched. So they're all in their 70s for the most part. They are gender matched overall. So there's a little preponderance of males and they had other causes of death, no one cause, they had multiple other causes of death, which were not COVID-19. They were exhaustively proven not to have COVID-19. Okay, so they had okay. other causes and not all, they're not really infectious causes for the most part either. Okay, so there were people who died, they had other issues going on, they had cardiovascular disease and they died, you know, things like that, but they died and we, looked at their lungs and their uh, thoracic nodes. In this paper that you're talking about, you only describe the thoracic nodes. Okay, so the non-COVID-19 controls is a very broad category. It's a broad category, but same age Mm -hmm. and similar, but they died at the same time. You you said you had, uh, the authors had to collect the uh, tissues very quickly. So did that mean sometimes it had to be in the middle of the night? Yes, so many of these autopsies, so obviously if the autopsy happened at a very inconvenient time, that patient was not included in our study. Okay. So when the autopsies were done within a few hours, because uh, bodies decay, you know, and if typically autopsy is done much later, no one's in a big rush, they're not looking for exquisite detail, but we, we were trying to get harvest cells, study them and, you know, do things in more detail. So we my close collaborator who we teach together was bobby padera he's a pathologist he's head of autopsy uh, and you know he's an md phd also but he knows science as well but we discussed it as covid was coming we discussed and said you know it would be helpful for us if we can do this and since he knew he would be seeing these patients uh, we had these quickly done autopsies and then we got tissues from them. And the reason you were looking at the thoracic lymph nodes is to get a snapshot of the immune response in the lungs, right? Correct. The draining lymph nodes are where the immune response starts. And we don't have this opportunity often of looking at an organ and at the draining lymph node at the same time. We can do that in the mouse. Mm -hmm. In humans, it's tough, right? So that's why we want to do this. Okay. To continue with the results, when the authors looked at the spleens, there was a paucity, a dearth of white pulp. Similar to the situation in the lymph nodes, there was also a reduction in B and T cell numbers. The BCL6 positive B cell population was going down here as well. The authors did not find any differences in the follicular dendritic cells, or as Schiff says, only FDCs. 
Another point to note is that AID positive B cells were not affected in both lymph nodes and spleens. So in summary, both lymph nodes and spleens of these patients had lower number of lymphocyte population. Shiv, when you found a lower amount of white pulp, that just means we usually think of white pulp as the area where there are no red blood cells, so it doesn't look red. And there, this is where most of the lymphocytes will reside. So when you see, say, there's a or redu reduction in white pulp area, there's just less ground where lymphocytes dominate, right? Yes, there's less TNB cells. Okay, so that, that, that was interesting that you, there's already fewer TNB cells. And for somebody, for at, at the time I was reading this paper, I would think that if COVID-19 is considered to be driven, the disease is driven more by the human, the patient's response at the immune response than the pathogen itself, I would think that the immune, uh, the, these lymphocytes would be higher, if at all, than lower. But this was quite surprising. This brings us to the next figure and where the authors are asking, how are the follicular helper T cells affected in severely ill COVID-19 patients? In both thoracic lymph nodes and spleen, the follicular helper T cell populations were diminished it is possible that there is a circulating factor, for example, a cytokine that could be the cause of diminished lymphocytes in the secondary lymphoid organs. In the past, TNF-alpha has been shown to be associated with germinal center loss, and since severe COVID-19 is marked by a cytokine storm, the authors looked at TNF-alpha expression in the lymph nodes. The authors found that compared to the controls, COVID-19 patients' lymph nodes had much higher TNF-alpha both within and outside the follicles. This somewhat explains the reduction in germinal center in these B cells, I mean, in these patients. Uh, Shiv, was this your first thought when you found reduction in B and T cells, that TNF-alpha or some cytokine might be behind it? So the reduction in TNB cells, I mean, this is something, again, that occurs in other severe infections. And it even occurs, I mean, there's a paper, I have a colleague of mine, Uli Wallandrian, had published a paper about 10 years ago in mice, showing that if he cut the, uh, the spinal cord of a mouse, they had severe lymphopenia. So uh, I think the severe lymphopenia is caused, again, we've not proven this in humans, is caused by sequestration of lymphocytes in the bone marrow. And it's dependent on very high levels of cortisol. So in this state where you have, you have cytokine storm and all that, that is true, but you also have very high levels of cortisol in the blood of severely ill patients. And in a fashion that's not fully worked out, people are studying this, uh, these cells tend to get sequestered in the bone marrow. But if you recovered, then the cells will start coming back from the bone marrow. And these are not cells in the bone marrow which have just been made, right? The newly made cells, we don't see them either. They're gone because nothing's coming out of the bone marrow. But there's like sequestration in the bone marrow. Why the body does that, I don't know, but it might be a defense mechanism, I don't know. Sorry. So wait, are, are you saying that maybe some of these cells are migrating to another organ like the bone marrow? So what's happening is, you know, what is described early in COVID, even from uh, studies done in China, is that there's severe lymphopenia, especially T lymphopenia, but there's severe lymphopenia. And nobody knows why, right? So we have been thinking about why is there this lymphopenia? And I think the lymphopenia might be related to a phenomenon studied in animals where under stress conditions, with high levels of cortisol, there is a mechanism not fully understood of sequestering lymphocytes in the blood. What is already in a lymph node is there, right? But what is going to be circulating in the blood is now, when it goes to the bone marrow, it's sort of getting stuck there. So you tend to get some lymphopenia. There is stuff in the blood. It's not like there's no cells in the blood whatsoever. There's stuff in the blood. There's still stuff in the lymph nodes, but then since no new cells are coming to lymph nodes, you see lymphopenia in the lymph node too. Okay. Bone marrow is like the comfort zone for all our immune cells, <laughs> whenever something goes wrong. Well, some of it we never thought about that, you know, you just go sequester. But again, that I'm saying it on the basis of mouse studies, there's not enough studies in humans yet. Okay. So in summary, the secondary lymph uh, lymphoid organs from severely ill COVID-19 patients had reduced follicular helper T cells and an abundance of TNF-alpha. 
The authors then look for other G helper substats to be affected in several ill COVID-19 patients. So to examine the populations of other helper T cell populations in the secondary lymph node organs of patients with more severe COVID-19, the authors stain tissue with various markers of helper T population, specifically those denotating TH1, TH2, TH17, and T-Rex. From this experiment, the authors found that the tissue from COVID-19 patients had more TH1 cells in both early and late phases. TH2 cells were generally decreased in tissues from COVID-19 patients. TH17 population were variable, but T-Rex made a substantial part of CD4 T-cell population in tissue from late stages of COVID-19. Together, this data demonstrated a defect in T-cell differentiation in patients with severe COVID-19 and may explain the strong TNF-alpha TH1 response shown in these patients. Dr. Chevy, I want to ask a question. You, all of this, you find it in, in the patients, but what happens if you uh, take uh, naive cells from these patients and differentiate towards uh, this uh, TH effector phenotype? Is it intrinsic of the cells or is it the microenvironment that leads to this uh, reduction of of cells. So, I mean, I, I guess in the paper, we do quote some other papers where they use TNF blockade in the mouse, right? In, in mice, where you lose germinal centers in the context of severe infection, in uh, there's at least two models where this has been done. One is a severe malaria model. The other is a rickettsial model where blockade with TNF or allows you to restore germinal centers. Okay. So I think the germinal center loss is happening because there's severe inflammation and we showed it in the lymph node. There's a lot of TNF in the lymph node and that this is in some way causing an immune deviation event, pushing T cells away from differentiating into TFH to go into other lineages. So it's not like you lost all your T cells you lost the ability to become the germinal center type TFH cell. So I do think it is because of the milieu and that if you, there isn't that good a differentiation method for making GC type TFH cells, the kind of TFH cells people make in vitro don't really go all the way to very good germinal center type. But in principle, if there was, I would argue that in that context, if you had other cells and you put in uh, maybe some TNF, maybe you would block that differentiation event and make it go in a different direction. So what has been done for TH1 and TH2 and TH17 in terms of in vitro differentiation has not been done as well with TFH in the past, in the field. But that's a good thought. I have this uh, question about the source of TNF-alpha. You think that uh T helper one cells may be one of the important T cells that are making it, but how would this compare to everything else that is responding to PAMPs and making TNF alpha as one of the first cytokine? So, so let me say that we did we found a lot of cells making TNF alpha. Okay. Okay. However, again, I'm just and I don't know the mechanism in humans, but I know that in the mouse and we are trying some mouse models too. In the mouse, blockade of interferon gamma also caused restoration of germinal centers. Oh. Okay, so based on that, I kind of say, oh, maybe it's because of that. It doesn't mean, I mean, intron gamma, by the way, is made by many cells other than TH1 cells as well. So it's all possible. Okay, it might be a mixed bag of very different cells. That's what makes it very complicated to understand cytokine signaling and who's making it and who's responding it. There's just so many elements all in one place. This brings us to the next question that the authors were asking. How are the different B cell phenotypes looking in these patients? We just established that the different T cell subsets were, well, some are skewed. There is a skewed T helper one population, but what about the B cells? And this is the part that also was particularly exciting for me. The authors wanted to examine the COVID-19 phenotype over the progression of the disease, as well as multiple levels of severity. They used flow cytometry of peripheral blood to examine the cell populations in patients with varying levels of COVID-19. From this experiment, the authors found that transitional 
and follicular B cells were significantly reduced in patients with severe COVID-19 in comparison to those recovering, asymptomatic, or healthy. Moreover, this decreased correlated with inflammation in those patients. Therefore, this lack of not quite activated B cells, which are the follicular and the transitional B cells, could result in reduced humoral responses. Uh, Shiv, can you tell us what exactly are transitional B cells? So when a B cell is made in the bone marrow, so you go through pro-B, pre-B, immature B, and the day you emerge, the cell that just comes out, we call a transitional cell. And in humans and in mice, you can categorize them into some subsets. Uh, So we have the transitional one, transitional two, transitional three in humans. And these are just as they mature and then they eventually become follicular B cells. These early stages are transitional cells. There's a lot of tolerance that might be induced at this stage where you might get rid of self-reactive transitional cells with C self proteins. Uh, all again being studied by many and not fully understood, but certainly it's a tolerance checkpoint there because you lose a lot of transitional cells which are self-reactive. Okay, thanks for that. Coming back to the the paper, similarly, the authors examined other B-cell subsets when looking at the peripheral blood of patients with more severe COVID-19. Authors found increases in activated B-cells plasma blasts, and a special type of disease-associated B-cell called a double negative B-cell that we discussed during our terminology section. B-cells that class switch and undergo somatic hypermutation but do not come from the germinal center reactions. They must arise from an extra follicular region. Moreover, this increase was correlated with inflammation. Therefore, maybe this phenotype of extra follicular B-cells could result in higher inflammation and contribute to COVID-19 progression and severity. Interestingly, using epitopes from COVID-19 to look for B cells specific to COVID-19, the authors found that many of the activated B cells in these patients are specific to the virus and no doubt emerged in reaction to infection with the virus. However, because these B cells probably came from a non-germinal center reaction, it is unknown how long lasting or effective their antibodies are. From what you have told me, Chef, I would I, I think of these extra follicular B cells as a coping mechanisms from our immune system, seeing that the germinal center is not active. So there is a shift towards the extra follicular B yeah, cells. Yeah, so I, I mean, extra follicular B cells could be partly an early uh, generation of antibodies which before you found the germinal center, which is also helpful. And if you don't get a germinal center, then they're the only source of antibodies. And in COVID patients, I think in the majority of them, there are few who may have recovered and during convalescence started to make germinal centers possibly. That's a small percentage, but just going by the data from SARS-CoV-1, the SARS ep- uh, epidemic of 2002-2003, there were studies there done up to six years later and in those patients, there were no memory cells left for that were B-cell-specific memory six years later. They were gone. So these were studies that showed that there wasn't this. And I don't think these diseases are that different, by the way. You know, the original SARS and this, there's broadly similar. Viruses are slightly different. But there was clearly, you know, there was no German centers then. Nobody studied in detail. But there's a pathology report from then showing no German centers. That's what we were starting to think about. And memory, when it was looked for with the specific antigens, did not show up six years later. So they had lost it. So there is a loss of both durable immunity of high quality antibody immunity in terms of high affinity. And there's also a loss of T-cell immunity. And this is the reason why we're getting all these variants, that our immune pressure is not sufficient. We have natural immunity, but it's not good enough. It's not good enough to give us durability. It's not good enough to prevent persistence of the virus, which is happening in the gut, and therefore the generation of variants. So only vaccination seems to be able to provide sterilizing immunity. If we don't have sterilizing immunity, then the chances of getting some variants becomes higher because of persistence. 
So the idea behind vaccination in this case would be that you're already inducing germinal center with the vaccine and now you're forming these memory cells in the plasma cells. So even if when there is an infection and let's say that infection itself is preventing formation of new germinal centers, now we already have memory formed. And well, the idea can. is that you will never get the infection severely enough mm-hmm. to right, stop also germs that. in the formation. If you have robust immunity from uh, you know the vaccine, uh, you some small number of people will get infected, but most will not. Those that get infected tend not to get severe disease. So you're containing the spread both by T cells and antibodies. So the antibodies are protecting you from infection, but there's also T cells being made with vaccination. So you're not getting a strong, you know, viral uh, landing within you because of vaccination. And that is, if you prevent the virus from multiplying and spreading, then you don't get uh, variant formation. You'll control it. Right. That's yeah. So anybody, everybody listening, it's it's. I think the, in this case, vaccination becomes even more important since natural virus is somewhat able to prevent indirectly through the host response, the formation of germinal centers. I think there's no solution but vaccination, by the way. If we don't have vaccination, we will go on getting newer variants all over the world. Right. And when you say newer variants, it's because our immune, generally the immune response is broad enough that it can control a variety of, of similar virus. When you're putting immune pressure, but the immune pressure is not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's not shaped, it's not become high affinity, so you can slip past it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a similar concept in cancer immunology as well, that if you cannot prevent a cancer from from you cannot stop a cancer early on it will diversify it will metastasize and now it's too much to handle yeah okay so to summarize the last uh, result in patients with severe covid19 defects in germinal center formation also results in aberrant b cell maturation contributing to inflammation possibly preventing effective humoral responses eugenie do do we want to lead the discussion Sure. So finally, we have entered the, the discussion, and we I think um, uh, I'm getting to four uh, important points that I found in the paper, and we would like to discuss with you, uh, Shiv. So the first one would be we know that uh, COVID-19 leads to the absence of germinal center in the earliest stage of infection. We, we see defective BCL6 and T follicular helper generation, and we also see an aberrant TNF alpha production. So do you think? Uh, anti-TNF alpha could be a treatment for uh, these patients? I mean, early and late. Well, so first of all, when we say early and late, it's all severe disease. It's not mild disease, okay? These are people who are hospitalized, they're very sick and who passed away. Uh, Keeping that in mind, that's when you, all of these people had a huge viral load and a lot of TNF was made. Uh, If you gave TNF too early, you will probably impair immunity as well. This is possible, right? So it's a it's a tricky uh, thing to do. However, there, was a, there are a few studies published of going back and looking at rheumatological patients who received TNF blockade. And of all the different rheumatological treatments, the one with the best outcome was those who got TNF blockade. So there might be something to it, but I don't think it's that simple because just preventing germ centers is not the answer here. It might be there was more to it that we don't know why the immune response in COVID-19 is so disordered. It may be just because you have so much inflammation in the lymph node, the equilibrium is gone, your T-regs are also dysfunctional. There's many things may be going on. But I do think, yes, maybe too much TNF may be part of that picture. And so it might help, but I'm not recommending it now. <laughs> so get vaccinated. Hopefully, we'll have drugs that will block viral replication because as sooner or later, there's going to be a protease inhibitor or a, a trans a polymerase inhibitor that is going to work. Okay. And the second uh, point I would like to discuss, and we have discussed during the uh, this uh, uh, podcast, would be what is the root of lymphoid depletion? You showed it might be cytokine storm, TNF alpha, 
In the introduction, you mentioned about IL-6, perhaps other cytokines such as interferon alpha, which is known to be, be overexpressed in, 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 in COVID patients. What is your thought about that? So I think in COVID-19, the cause of uh, uh, lymphopenia is not established, but I suspect it's due to the high level of steroids, cortisol, and, and uh, sequestration of cells in the bone marrow. But that's not a proven thing. It's just a hypothesis. Okay. So what, what would be the cause of cortisol release? Well, you're in severe stress. You're When all your, you know, you're now in a situation of extreme fight and flight, you're going to have a lot of high levels of cortisol. Now, why does that cause this phenomenon? And how does that happen mechanistically? I don't know. I'm just giving you some because of a published report of, you know, transection of the cord in mice and the same phenomenon happens, I'm thinking maybe that's what's going on. Okay. Um, the third point will be, uh, what is the role of these extrafollicular B cells? And I will say extrafollicular T cells that could be participating in the disease uh, of COVID-19. So I, 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 I think this is not proven. I think the extrafollicular B cells do work to help collaborate with CD4 T cells to make CD4 T cells that are able to somewhat control the virus. And we call those cells cytotoxic CD4 cells. We have a preprint out there somewhere where we think this is what's happening. And they're trying to compensate for CD8. So I think the double negative B cell is doing, first thing is making some antibodies. You need some antibodies and you're making some antibodies. May not be high affinity, but you're making antibodies. And the second thing it might be doing is that it might be assisting T cells in an attempt to control infection. So, so are these uh, extrafollicular B cells the ones that are activated by TLA, TLRs without this extrafollicular help? So they are. they have T help, T cell help. They're not T independent. Okay. They are used. They are T dependent cells, but they are not coming from the germinal center. They are coming from outside the germinal center, okay? and they are coming up more in disease than anywhere else. So we think that they might be causing fibrosis because the CD4 CTLs in our own work in other diseases, we argue that they are linked to fibrosis. But we have published this in four other diseases. But I don't know if this is necessarily the case here, but that's possible. When you talk about these CD4 positive cytotoxic T cells, what do you think is the mechanism of them killing infected cells? Are you expecting all infected cells to be upregulating MHC too? So in our studies, we've shown that, and this, many have shown this before, when you have inflammation, a lot of cells express class 2 now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what will happen, a CD4 CTL will not kill every infected cell. It'll kill an infected cell, which is expressing MHC class 2, which is caused by inflammation. So during inflammation, epithelial cells, endothelial cells, all express MHC class 2. So, and then they, they can present peptides from the virus. And uh, so there are studies published. So we published a paper last year showing CD4 CTLs that get turned on uh, in the context of a fungus, uh, that histoplasma capsulatum. Uh, uh, the lab of Alex Setti has in the past uh, suggested that dengue virus is controlled by CD4 CTLs. But then the dengue virus infection may be in cells that already express class 2. There's a paper in Nature from uh, one of our colleagues in the Dana-Farber from just a month ago, showing that uh, CD4 CTLs are controlling EBV-infected B cells. But B cells express class 2, right? So that's fine. But I think in the context of a parenchymal infection, like in the lung, those cells which are inflamed and have virus in a, and have class 2, those would become targets. Okay. So these these CD4 cytotoxic T cells seem to be more mainstream than I imagined. No, no, they're not mainstream yet, unfortunately. I'm fighting with my co-authors of my textbook. I write a, I write a couple of textbooks with two co-authors, but I have to convince one of them that we should put this in the textbook. So yeah, it's not yet mainstream enough. It should be mainstream, but 
not yet okay just a very general question and it's okay if you may not know the numbers but what percentage of cd4s in healthy patients do you expect to be granzyme b positive cytotoxic very few i mean okay. no we have published these numbers in normal people okay. not very many in people with certain diseases expanded clonally expanded and in larger numbers and older people more of these cells because some of this occurs with age against cmv and other infections you accumulate some of these cells but do they have to look at an effector subset we view single cell rna seq to separate subsets and the effector subset is the one that is likely causing disease or protecting you okay um i will end the discussion with this uh, uh i would like to hear your point of view about this uh, possible explanation of the this broad range of responses in all the populations so why we uh, some of the population uh, get ill several ill what uh, why some of them become asymptomatic what is your your point of view about that? i think the, the very nice work from others in particular jean laurent casanova who is both in paris and in new york uh, he's established quite well that older people tend to have autoantibodies against type 1 interferons and that some percentage of the population almost 4 to 5% has uh, polymorphic variants that prevent good type 1 interferon production so this defect in having good type 1 interferon production is probably the reason why people get severe disease so i think that is the best explanation so far diabetics tend to get severe disease as well and the exact mechanism many things are debated uh, but i think metabolic syndrome in general can cause stronger inflammasome activation and that might cause even more severe inflammation when you get inflammation so basically covid is a disease of defective innate immunity of the type that should protect you which is the antiviral innate immunity and too much innate immunity of the wrong type which is inflammation and then you know along the way adaptive immunity might make it worse sometimes but that's possible <laughs> Interferons are weird. You make too little of that, you get viral infections. You get too much of that, and now you're autoimmune. That is true. Type one interferons are heavily linked to certain autoimmune diseases. So yes, there's a time and place, and you know, timing and all those things are important. So with this, I think we could move on to the summary of the paper, uh, Dara. Okay, so now let's wrap everything up from today. So this paper has shown the evidence for dysregulated immune hemoimmune immune response, immune induction in COVID-19 patients, including first a striking absence of lymph node and splenic germinal centers in the severe COVID patients and the high local levels of TNF alpha which contribute to the impaired TFH cell differentiation and germinal center loss. and possibly induce the downstream th1 cell different cell activation and block the final step in the t follicular helper cell differentiation in secondary lymphoid, lymphoid organs and so there is a robust t cell mediated activation of b cells germinal centers do not form and moreover the robust activation of non germinal center type b cell responses does not really give rise to the long lived memory or high affinity b cells And the underlying basis of the loss of germinal centers is best explained by the striking failure of the differentiation of B cell 6 positive T follicular helper cells and likely because of the dramatic changes in extra follicular cytokines driven by Th1 cells and aberrant local production of TNF alpha in lymphoid organs and all the above mentioned points provide a mechanistic explanation of the non-durable humoral immune response the impaired humoral immunity and also the low level of somatic hypermutation in antibodies from patients resolving from covid-19 thanks a lot for that dara so shiv are you planning to devote a lot of your lab time to the to covid-19 research for a few years no 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 i mean we a lot of our lab will pursue animal model studies to understand phenomena mm-hmm. covid-19 will as a disease will die out everything we can do we would have done in maybe the next 6 months okay and then we'll go on to study mechanisms that might be relevant 
for the next pandemic or for Ebola and other things and flu and everything else may be relevant, but we'll continue to study the biology of the BNT cell set. Okay. I think this would be a good time to wrap up the episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Check out our Facebook page and the website, theantibodies.org for the Antibodies Cinematic Universe, where you can find our blogs, our journal clubs, and the podcast. We recently also have started a career talk section where we where we bring in guests to talk about different fields of science that you could pursue a career in. Thanks a lot, Eugenio, Dara, and Shiv for joining us today. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.